And I mean, if you read any kind of history, it's like that. The um, the Jews didn't even they they um, in the Talmud that said, um, "Don't waste your time teaching women," right? And so basically, when Jesus stepped on the scene, women didn't even go. Women weren't taught the word of God. Basically, women didn't even go to school. Women, a lot of times, women didn't even read and write because they didn't have any value. The women were just um, something to be owned and stuff. And so when Jesus came along, Jesus came and he turned the world upside down. And he turned the, the way that the people thought upside down, even his own disciples. And uh, we'll look at that a little bit. Can I ask a question? Yeah. And forgive me if you already covered this. Um, so when Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet and learning from him, she was basically sitting at the feet of a teacher. In their culture, the the women, if women weren't taught, that was probably super, super strange. And was Jesus kind of turning everything on its head by allowing a woman to sit and learn the things of God, whereas they didn't really have that. Yeah. I mean, and obviously in the it, temple, the children and the women were there, but as far as it seems like she was in that position, she was more in a, I don't know, like a deeper training mode, and that, that normally wasn't. Yeah, and that's the thing. It wasn't. And, yeah, it's kind of funny that you brought that up because we are going to talk about that. But that's the thing is women did not sit at the feet of, of rabbis. It was... And even even when Jesus called all of his disciples, he called men to him and things. But over time, even the Bible talks about uh, that some of his disciples were women and stuff. Maybe not the original 12, but a lot of Jesus' disciples were women. And uh, yeah, and that's... The first huh? The first woman to go, the first disciple to go out and share the, or the first person to go out and share the gospel of Jesus Christ was the Samaritan yeah. woman. Yeah, so so we're going to talk about all that. But and that's the thing. So so they said the ancient peoples believed that women had no value. Um they didn't believe that, that you should waste your time trying to teach them. Um in in Roman times women they had no say so at all. They um they couldn't um a lot of societies they couldn't vote. They they didn't have any say. So what? And the man, if the man wanted to to, like even children had no view. If if the man wanted to kill his his children, he could kill them. If he wanted to divorce his wife, he could divorce his wife, and you know again, women couldn't do anything about it. But so so there are guys and there are people even today that believe women aren't able to do anything like I know people that are all the time it's like well I don't want a woman to be a president because they're incapable and I'm not saying whether I want a woman to be a president or not but that is the that is the prevalent view I mean even in our military in the in the Israeli army women are drafted into their army and they fight alongside the men and I'm not again I'm not saying that I would be comfortable with that personally I mean I used to be in the military I'm not saying I would be comfortable with that personally, but they do do it, and they do it well, and and they're able to do it, and so I just wanted to kind of talk about some women in history because again, men are like women aren't able to do those things, and women and they've said that all throughout history, but there have been women throughout history who have done awesome, powerful things, 
And in the first century, when, when Rome was going into Britain and trying to conquer, first conquer Britain, there was a, a Celtic woman named Boudicca. And uh, she, she got the Britons to unite um, after the Romans raped her daughters and they publicly beat her. She got the Britons to unite and she almost kicked them out of, out of Britain. Hmm. And stuff. A woman led the armies of Britain against the Romans and nearly defeated the Romans, which was the most powerful army in the world at that time. Hmm. And these these uneducated Celtic um, barbaric warriors, led by a woman, almost defeated the Romans. Hmm. And I think the only thing that that stopped it from happening was her dying. Hmm. And uh, so. Um, another case, Joan of Arc in the 1400s, she led a revolt against the English who were invading France. And again, she united the people and she was like, I think five foot tall, something like that. Just a little tiny person. But because of, of who she was and because, you know, just her, her I mean, just her, her force and everything. She was able to unite the French against the, the, the English. And um, eventually, the, the, uh, the French were able to kick the English out of their country and, again, be free. And uh, what's, what's interesting about that is, is um, she was burned at the stake as a heretic, and the crime that she was burned for was witchcraft. So, again, this is... A lot of times in the ancient world, if you were a woman that had a point of view, if you were a woman that had a strong opinion, the easiest way to get rid of you would be to say you are a witch, hmm. whether they had proof or not. But just the, the fact that they could say that was enough to, to almost convict you. And, and it, it's, it's always amazed me that the French even allowed... If you, if you read the history of it, the, the French people, the people that were in power, allowed her to be taken by the English and stuff. And, and instead of coming to her rescue, they allowed it to happen. And, you know, it's, it's like the injustice of it is here this woman basically got the people to rise up and fight against the invaders. And instead of being rewarded by, by her leaders they allowed her to be taken and, and burned at the stake, hmm. you know? Um, hmm. You know, another person, uh, Marie Curie in the uh, 1800s, um, she won not only one, but two Nobel Prizes, one for physics and one for chemistry. And again, you know, it's like throughout history, men are like, women are stupid, women are incapable, women can't do anything, you know? And this was in the 1800s, the early 1800s. We all know about Mother Teresa who gave her life for the people of India, the poor people. And just, I mean, she, she was frail. She was a tiny woman too. She was frail. She, she um, fought against personal diseases and sickness. To, to, and she gave her life for the people of India. And I mean, where would India be without her? I mean, a lot of the orphanages that, she, um, that are there now were because she started them. And so the, the fact of the Catherine matter is, is there has been, yeah, Catherine Booth, there's, there's all kinds of women throughout history who have risen up and proven and shown that they can lead people and that they can get things done. And, um, Did Catherine Booth start the Salvation Army? No, but she, she definitely had a, I mean, she would go out on the streets alongside her husband and, and 
preach and minister also, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's just, that's like secular women, but um, let's look at some examples in Scripture. In uh, Judges chapter 4. Because again, there is a prejudice in a lot of men's minds that say that women are not capable of doing things and that women are not intelligent. I mean, I've, I've listened to it from my dad all my life. My dad is definitely a, a redneck from Texas. and I mean, he, the way he talks about women and the way he's always talked about women, it's like, wow, you know? And, uh, but this is, this is the society that they were raised in. This is what they were taught as children, and this is what they have taught their children. And what it's just like people say: children are not born prejudiced. People are taught prejudice. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, and and people are not being are not born prejudiced against women. People are taught prejudice against women. But I just wanted to look at some examples from the Bible of women that that did like uh, awesome exploits. And in Judges chapter 4, in the book of Judges, um, what happened is, is um, there was no king in Israel. It says over and over that because there was no king in Israel, the people lived how they wanted to live. Um, they, they worshiped their idols, their father, they followed their own desires and their own wickedness, and they, they basically would stop following God. And because of that, the Lord would allow them to be defeated by their enemies. He would allow them to be oppressed by their enemies and to be um, subjugated by their enemies. And what would happen is they would cry out to the Lord, and so the Lord would raise up a judge for them. And a judge was, was basically the ruler of the country. The judge was in charge of the nation and would lead the nation through those times and would use would lead them into warfare against their enemies and conquer their enemies and their judge would would uh, the 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 per, the God's purpose and design for that judge was to be a righteous person that would lead the people of Israel righteously to overcome. Um, <coughs> to overcome their oppressors who are there because of their sins. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And in Judges chapter 4, in verse 1, said, Then the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud, which was another judge, after Ehud died, and the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. And the commander of the army of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harosheth, Hagoyim. The sons of Israel cried to the Lord, for he had 900 iron chariots, and he oppressed the sons of Israel severely for 20 years. Now, what I find interesting about this is this is a lot like us. A lot of times uh, we're like, you know, I'm just going to kind of live my own way. I'm going to do my own thing. You know, I'll keep God on this side, but then I'm going to kind of live my own way too. So, you know, it's like I'll, I'll, I'll kind of live how I want to do. I'll party. I'll do, you know, live for my flesh and my own gratification. But if I get in trouble, I'll go, I'm going to call upon the Lord, you know? And the awesome thing about God is a lot of times he comes and rescues us in that. But a lot of times he doesn't too. But in verse um, in verse 3, it says, Then the sons of Israel cried to the Lord, for he had 900 char- iron chariots, and he oppressed the sons of Israel for, severely for 20 years. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife, the wife of Labadoth, who was, was judging Israel at that time, 
She used to sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the sons of Israel came up to her for judgment. In other words, just like they came to kings to solve their problems and to judge between, you know, disputes and things like that, they were coming to Deborah, a woman. Mm -hmm. The sons of Israel came to her for judgment. Do do you mind turning on the light? Yes, please, I will. It says, um, um, verse 6, Now she sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Behold, the Lord, the God of Israel, has commanded, Go and march to Mount Tabor, and take with you ten thousand men from the sons of Naphtali and from the sons of Zebulun. I will draw you out, I will draw out to you Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his many troops to the river Kishon, and I will give him into your hand. Now, again, what I find interesting about this is God spoke this to her. God didn't speak this to Barak. He spoke to to Deborah, his plan, and what he was going to do. And so, and then she, as a leader, communicates that to the guy, to the man. Verse 8, then Barak said to her, if you will not go with me, then if you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. She said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the honor shall not be yours on the journey that you are about to take, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hands of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. Now the thing about the armies back then, it was an honor for the warrior to kill the greatest warrior of the other side. Just how like when David killed Goliath, right? Um, he was honored for that, and he became the mighty warrior. And so Deborah is saying to Barak, since you needed a woman to go with you, then you're not going to be the one that, that kills Sisera. It's going to be a woman that does that. Um, verse 10, Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali together to Kadesh, and 10,000 men went up with him. Deb- Deborah also went up with him. Now Heber the Kenite had separated himself from the Kenites from the sons of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, and, pinch, and had pitched his tent as far away as the oak of Zanim, which is near Kadesh. Then they told Sisera that Barak, the son of Ab- Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor. Sisera called together all his chariots, 900 iron chariots, and all the people who were with him. Um, in verse 14, Deborah said to Barak, Arise, for this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Behold, the Lord has gone out before you. So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And verse 15, The Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army with the edge of the sword before Barak. And Sisera alighted from his chariot and fled away on foot. Um, verse 18, uh, verse 17. Now Sisera fled away, Sisera again being the king of the, of the other army. Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, for there was peace between Jabin the son of Hazor and the house of Heber, Heber the Kenite. Jael went out to Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my master, turn aside to me. Do not be afraid. And he turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him with a rug. He said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a bottle of milk and gave him to drink, and she covered him. He said to her, Stand in the doorway of the tent, and it will be if anyone comes and inquires of you and says, Is anyone there, that you will say no. But Jael, Heber's wife, took a tent peg and seized a hammer in her hand and went secretly to him and drove the peg into his temple, and it went through and went through into the ground, for he was sound asleep and exhausted, so he died. So I think there's a couple of awesome things in the word. Number one, he, Sisera, is commanding Jael as a woman. 
He's commanding her, you stand at the door and watch out for the enemies. If anyone comes, let me know. Um, now, as a woman, she, you know, in their society, she was supposed to submit to him and do what he asked her to do. But because she was a righteous woman, she, she killed him instead, right? And so again, it's a case of a woman not doing what's expected of her by society, not doing the, the womanly thing of submitting to the man, but she's doing what, um, she's, she's following God and she puts him to death. Something else there too is that J.L.'s husband was actually an ally of Sisera, so she went against her own husband as well. Oh, that's good. Yeah. And so, I mean, and, and who knows? I mean, maybe who knows what kind of trouble she got into for doing that. Right. But she was doing what her heart called her to do. And because of that, here we are reading thousands, thousands of years later, we're reading about her in the Word of God. Mm-hmm. And so whether, whether her husband honored her for it, whether her, her, you know, her people honored her or whether they didn't honor her for it, God has honored her by putting her in the Word of God. So, um, look at another case in... I have a quick question. Yes. So, in Hebrews 11, where I always wonder why... You asked that last week, remember? Yeah, but I noticed, like, Deborah says, you will not get the glory for this. Like, she tells Barak that, but then in Hebrews 11... So, I'm trying to understand... Why <laughs> that happened? Well, you know the like thing. She's not mentioned the, in that part. the thing is, is there's some things in the Bible that aren't really clear. Mm-hmm. And I think that, again, whenever, and I, I did want to clarify this because I think that the Bible, I, the Bible is is fully inspired by God. Mm-hmm. It is fully accurate. But I think that at the same time that God didn't take the personalities from the people that it were that He was using. Does that make sense? And so, again, just like if 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 the four of us were to see an accident out front, we would we would probably give four different versions mm-hmm. of what it was. So that was that. Some of us leaving of parts out, some of us adding parts to it mm. and stuff. And sometimes when you're telling a story, you're not really really thinking about all the factors mm-hmm. or all the parts that that had a part in this. Um, matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews is painting such a broad picture. I mean, he's going over thousands of years. And and he's he's giving a history of, of thousands of years mm-hmm. and stuff. And so as such, there's, there's only so much detail he could put into it. Mm-hmm. So... I'm going to say something just real quick on that. I think it's like, if somebody wins a war, even in this country, we're going to give the credit to the general, like General Mm. Patton, not the President of the United States. Mm. Now, the President of the United States, if the President were king, then he would be like legislature and, you know, he'd be the entire executive office. Mm -hmm. But you don't give credit for the mm-hmm. war that was won to him. You give it to the general that actually led the army. So technically, he did win, and JL was kind of on the side. She wasn't in the military. 
So he did win the war, technically. Hmm. And Deborah was the judge, so you don't necessarily give her credit for winning the war because she didn't win the war. She, she told him, and she rode in the chariot. Who knows if she even fought? He just wasn't going to go forward without her because. No. That's a really good. But in the eyes of God, but in the eyes of God, in the eyes of God, He knows that it, you know Jael did the deed, and not yeah. only that, but the the gossip, if you will, of the people, that's probably all they talked about. Oh, man, J.L. dragged a peg in his head. You know, they probably didn't really beef up Barak too much. They probably just went on and on and on forever about this brave woman who defied her husband and defied Sisera, and she did this, like, seriously manly act of driving a tent peg in his head and nailing him to the ground, you know. So in that respect, in their society, she probably did get the glory, you know, and, like, just... Well, Just, I think that with this thing, like again, like what you're saying, I mean, um, that's the thing. When when even when we read about this, there is so much to it. When you're there and when you're experiencing it, that there's left out. Yeah, I'm just trying to connect it. Yeah, to that, but yeah, I feel yeah. Like what she said. Yeah. Like really. Yeah. Kind of made that very clear for me as to why Barak is mentioned. Right. Yeah, and I think that's that I think that's a perfect answer. Yeah. I think it's awesome. But yeah, and, and then, you know, we won't go there or whatever, but I mean, we all know the story of Esther, how um, mm -hmm. um, there was Haman, when, when the people were in captivity in Babylon or whatever, um, Haman, who was, uh, or I mean Mordecai, yeah, no, Haman, who was a, a very important fit, official in Babylon, uh, wanted all the Jews to bow down to him, and Haman wouldn't do it. And because he wouldn't do it, um, Haman went to the king and was going had a decree made up that they were going to kill all the Jews and stuff. And well, actually, let's look at it because there's a lot in it. Um, turn to uh, Esther, chapter four. Esther chapter 4. Because, yeah, I mean, there's some awesome stuff in here. Um, in verse 1, it says, When Mordecai learned all that had been done, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out to the midst of the city and wailed loudly and bitterly. This is after Mordecai heard that Haman had gone to the king and there was a decree that they were going to kill all the Jews. He says, he went as far as the king's gate, for no one was to enter the king's gate clothed in sack, sackcloth. In each and every province where the command and decree of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing, and many lay on sackcloth and ashes. Now again, Esther was the queen at the time, and she was a Jew. She, Mordecai was actually her uncle. Mm -hmm. Then Esther's maidens came, and her eunuchs came and told her, and the queen writhed in great anguish, and she sent garments to clothe Mordecai that he might remove his sackcloth from him, but he did not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hathak, the king's eunuch, whom the king had appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai and learn what, was, what this was and why it was. Um, so Mordecai told, told him everything and stuff, and... Verse 9, Hathath came back and related Mordecai's words to Esther. Then Esther spoke to Hathath and ordered him to reply to Mordecai. All the king's servants and all the people of the king's provinces know that... Sorry. 
Know that for any man or woman who comes to the king to the inner court who is not summoned, he has but one law, that he be put to death, unless the king holds out to him the golden scepter so that he may live. In other words, even Esther, the queen, couldn't come into the king's presence without, without an invitation. Um, there was a good chance that she could die for it. They related Esther's, Esther's words to Mordecai. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not imagine that you in the king's palace can escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you, may, if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for, you, for the Jews from another place, and you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. Then Esther told him to reply to Mordecai, Go assemble all the Jews who are found in, in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maidens also will fast in the same way. And thus I will go unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. So, and we all know the story. Um, because of her, um, um, just because of her favor and, and just the way she did it and because of the blessing of God, she went into the king right. and, and Mordecai was hung on his own gallows. And so again, because of this one woman, she saved the, the, like the people of Israel from being wiped out almost. I mean, because there were, I mean, they were all taken into captivity except the for, the, for the poorest people of the land, they were left and, and even those guys got defeated by the Egyptians and stuff. And so, again, just over and over throughout history, both secular and through the Word of God, there have been women who have done exploits and mighty things, and, and mighty things. And uh, so, um, so, again, we're just trying to change the idea that, that, um, that women can't do anything and that women aren't allowed to do the thing. Um, turn to Luke chapter 10. We want to see what Jesus did to set free, uh, women free. And this is what Amy was talking about. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. It says, Now as they were traveling along, Jesus and his disciples, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. And again, just like you were saying, this whole concept of being seated at the rabbi's feet and learning from him, this, was, this only happened to men. I mean, the Bible talks about how Paul sat at the feet of Gamaliel and learned from him. Rabbis did not have women sit at their feet and teach them because, again, women were unimportant in their society. Women weren't worth teaching and... Uh, like even the Jews, they said, you know, I thank God that I was not born a woman. And so this was their concept. This was their whole idea of women. Women were not worth teaching. Women were not worth educating. Women were just possessions to be owned by the male. If a, if a man wanted to have several wives, he could do it. But a woman wasn't allowed to have more than one husband. And again, women didn't have rights to possession and things like that of that nature and stuff. And so basically, again, when, when, uh, when men died or whatever, they would pass their inheritances down to their oldest son. 
or if the oldest son was dead, it would go to the next son, but it wouldn't go to the women. And so this was the, this was the world that they lived in. Verse 40, it says, But Martha was distracted with all her preparations. In other words, she's doing the womanly thing, right? She's cooking for them. She's preparing meals for them and things like that. And there's nothing wrong with that. And it says, And she came to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. Verse 41, Then but the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worthy, worried and bothered about so many things. But only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which will not be taken away from her. I love that. I love that he says it will not be taken away from yeah. her. Yeah. <laughs> and the thing, so you know, and the thing is, is for 20, 21st century Christians who read that, we, we have no idea. We have no concept that it was not done. And I would imagine, because again, there are a lot of things that, that are not written in the Bible. But I can imagine that his disciples were kind of wondering what was going on. Why are you allowing this woman to, to be taught? Why shouldn't she be serving too? Mm -hmm. I mean, being the men and being products of their society, they're probably going, you know what? You should be out there helping in the kitchen also. Mm -hmm. And I'm certain that that's probably the attitude that they were, they were giving her. And so when Jesus was saying this to Martha, her sister, he was probably saying it to his disciples also. Turn to another place in, uh, um, let's see, Luke chapter 7. I think Martha had to also be super shocked because society, while she was doing the right thing and the expected answer would be, of course she was wrong, get her back in the kitchen. Yeah. You know, so probably... And it was probably, I would imagine that she was probably kind of nervous about doing it. She was probably a little worried about, you know. Getting in trouble. <laughs> yeah, exactly, you know. In Luke chapter 7, verse 36. So this is when a Pharisee invited Jesus over for supper. It says, Now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. So, I mean, again, when, when you read that, we're like, okay, there's a woman who is a sinner. But when you're looking at it from their viewpoint and how the writer would have written this and why he wrote it and why he said there was a woman who was a sinner, it's like there was a woman who was a sinner. And everybody knew it. Everybody knew this woman. They knew what kind of woman she was. And it's like, you know, their mindsets are against her. She is a sinner and she needs to be somewhere else. It says, there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she, brought, she bought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, Look at this, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she's a sinner. Again, this is the woman in the community. The whole community knew this woman and what she was. And Jesus answered him, 
It's, it, I always find this amazing how people are thinking these thoughts and Jesus answers them. I mean, that would, like, if I'm this person, I'm like, I'm, re, I'm repenting right then and there. Mm-hmm. When, when Jesus reads your thoughts and he answers you, it's like, whoa, okay, you're the Messiah. I need to repent. It says, Jesus answered him and said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. He said, a money lender had two debtors. One, one, owned five, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which one of them will love him more? And Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And Jesus said, you have judged correctly. Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. And again, these are the things, this is the way that you would treat a rabbi in those days. A rabbi was a respected person. When a rabbi would come to your house, you would wash their feet. You would treat them as someone of importance. You would treat them with respect and honor. But apparently, when Jesus came into Simon, the Pharisee's house, he didn't receive any of that. He says, uh, turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but since the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven." For she loved much, but he is forgiven little, loves little. Then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. So, again, this is, you know, and again, I'm sure even his disciples were astounded, were amazed at the way he treated women. Look at uh, the woman at the well in verse, uh, in um, John chapter 4. John chapter 4, verse 7 says, so essentially the Israelites, the Jews, they wouldn't even go into Samaria unless they had to. A lot of times they would go hundreds of miles out of their way just to go around Samaria because as far as they were concerned, the people of Samaria were unclean. They were, they were a people of mixture. They weren't, they weren't, um, they weren't the people of God in their opinions. Um, in verse 7, it says, There came a woman of Samaria to draw water from the well, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? So there are two things in that. Number one, she's a Samaritan, and so being a Samaritan, she's unclean, and the Jews would have no dealings with them. So Jesus is dealing with someone that... All the other Jews, all the other Israelites considered unclean. And then the second thing was that she was a woman. And so Jesus, this this woman has two strikes against her. And she's amazed that this Jewish rabbi is speaking to her at all. Much less asking her to do something for him. So in verse 9, Therefore the Samaritan woman said to them, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with with the Samaritans. 
And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you, where do you get this living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well, who gave us this well, and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst. But the water that I give him will become in him a well of water springing to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. Again, this woman's just like Nicodemus. Jesus is speaking spiritual things to her, but she's not understanding. She's, she's thinking physical things and Jesus is speaking spiritual things. Verse 16 so then Jesus, now Jesus is going to start getting into the heart of the matter. Jesus is going to start pressing into her heart where she lives, into the very depth of who this person is. And again, other rabbis wouldn't have even talked to this person. They would not have cared about her spiritual condition. They would not have cared about her, her state or even her physical condition. They would not have cared about this woman at all. And Jesus is taking his time to stop and minister to her. He says in verse 16, he said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And again, if, if, if Jesus said this to me, I'd be like, oh, okay, I'm repenting now. <laughs> Jesus said to her, uh, you've answered correctly I, when you said, I have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one whom you have now is not your husband. This you have said truly. I mean, right now, this woman's mind is blown. And then the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. And Jesus, and again, everyone's concerned about religion. Everyone's concerned with, this is how our fathers did it. This is the religion that's been passed down to us. This is the way that we worship. This is our forms. This is our, our manner of worship. This is how we do it. And, and, and again, whether it was the Israelites or whether it's the Samaritans, it's all an empty shell. And it was the things that they were worshiping was not God's intention. God's intention was not to worship in a temple. God's intention was not to sacrifice bulls and goats and doves and lambs and all that stuff. God's intention was the Lamb of God who would come down for the sacrifice for the salvation of all of mankind. And so those things pointed to the eventual salvation and to the real that was coming and to the ultimate that was coming, but they were all shadows. They were all empty shells that could never save. He says in verse 20 again, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. And Jesus said to him, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jer Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. Look at this. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Now that is one of the uh, most powerful verses in the New Testament. It's a verse that has spoken, been spoken thousands, 
millions of times to people. That is one of the most popular verses in the New Testament. It's one of the most popular verses in the Bible, and it was spoken to a woman. Look at another verse. Hold your place there and turn to John chapter 11. John chapter 11, verse 25. This was when Lazarus has died, and Jesus, again, is taking his time to speak to a woman and to teach a woman because he's interested in her spiritual welfare. He is interested in her as a person. She is not an object. She is not a nobody. She's not just a female. She's not someone that, you know, uh, to own as a possession. She is a human being, and Jesus is treating her as a human being. And in verse 25, he's talking about Lazarus rising from the dead. Again, one of the most popular verses in the New Testament, one of the most popular verses used by the church, spoken to a woman. In verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. Again, both of those scriptures were spoken to women. And these are some of the most popular verses in the Bible, some of the most used verses by the church. These were, these were first taught to women. Back to John chapter 4. So Jesus said, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, who, he who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. At that point, his disciples came, and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. Again, his disciples were a product of their society. They were products of their environment. This is the way that they had been brought up to see women. And Jesus is changing that. Jesus, Jesus doesn't think the way that they think. So many times the disciples thought Jesus was going to react in one way, and he reacted in a completely different way. Just like when John and James wanted to, to rain down fire upon the, the, the city because they didn't listen to him. And Jesus told them, you don't know what spirit you're of. And so Jesus, the whole time he's with the disciples, he's trying to subtly show them different ways. He's trying to teach them, this is, even though this is how you've been brought up to believe, even though this is how you've believed all your life, this is not the way that it is in the kingdom of God. Verse 25, the woman said to him, or verse... Uh, 26, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. At this point, his disciples came and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, why do you seek, what do you seek, or why are you speaking with her? And uh, so, verse 28, so the woman left her watering pot and went to the city and said to the men, come and see the man who told me all the things I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? And they went out of the city and they were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat, verse 32. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Um, look at this in verse 39. From the city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all the things that I have done. So again, this woman has an encounter with Jesus. She goes into the Samaritan city and many people believed in Jesus because of what she shared with them. She taught these men. Right? 
She shared the gospel. A woman shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with men, and because of that, they believed. Mm. Verse 40, So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them. He stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word. You see that? Mm -hmm. um, turn to another place. Um, so, in 1 Timothy 2, verse 12, and see, now, now we're going to start getting to, into the difficult parts of it. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, Paul, Paul said, I do not allow a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Now, we just saw right there, look, look at another place in, in Matthew chapter 28. We just saw in an instance of where a woman taught men, right? And in Matthew 28, verse 1, this is when Jesus had died and he had risen from the grave. And we're just going to rush through some scriptures here. Verse 1, it says, Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was, as, was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. And the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, just as he said. Come see the place where he was laying. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. Verse 8, And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. Turn to Mark. Mark chapter 16. Verse 11. Verse 9. Verse 8. It says, They went out and fled, these the women, they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had gripped them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now after he had risen early on the first day of the week, he first appeared to Mary Magdalene, from whom he, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and reported to those who had been with him while they were mourning and weeping. So in other words, Mary Magdalene saw him after he rose from the dead, and she went and reported it to his disciples. Verse 11, when they heard that he was alive and they had been seen by her, they refused to believe it. It says, after, after that he appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking along on their way to the country. They went away and reported to the others, but they didn't believe them either. Turn to uh, Luke chapter 24. And God could have easily left that if it was very important to him that women not speak at all or or minister at all. He could have easily had men come to the tomb. Mm -hmm. And men did go to the tomb because John and James went, or uh, uh, James, uh, John and Peter went to the tomb. And in Luke chapter 24, verse 1. 
But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb, the women, bringing the spices which they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to him, to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee. Now this whole thing about how he spoke to you, if you read it in the scriptures, is Jesus teaching his disciples, right? So obviously the women were part of his disciples that he was speaking these things to. So again, the disciples weren't just men, but they were women also. Um, uh, verse 6, He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you while, you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and, be, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words and returned from the tomb and reported all these things to, eleven, to the eleven and to all the rest. Now they were Mary Magdalene and jo Joanna and Mary the mother of James, also with the other women with them, were telling these things to the apostles. But these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they, they would not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away to his home, marveling at what had happened. So again, and it's, we've talked about it before, but it was women who first went to the tomb and found that Jesus had risen from the dead. What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? That Jesus died for your sins on a cross. He rose up from the dead. He rose from the grave so that you could be set free from your sins, right? So when the women are going to his disciples and telling these things, they are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has risen from the dead. So it was women that first preached the gospel. And just like in the, the story with the Samaritan woman, the, the Samaritan woman, because she preached, she taught the people, the men in the city, they, many of them believed. And so, you know, just, and so some people would look at that and say, well, they weren't preaching, they were just sharing. They were just telling people about it, right? Because I've heard people say that and stuff. So I looked it up, I, looked, I searched on what is the meaning of the word teach, the word teacher, according to the Oxford Dictionary, means to impart knowledge or to instruct someone as to how to do something. Number two is to give information about or instruction in a subject or skill. Number three is to work as a teacher. Number four, listen to this one, is to cause someone to learn or understand something by example or experience. And the fifth one, to encourage someone to accept something as a fact or a principle. So that's what teaching is. Teaching, and, and we know that in 2 Timothy, Paul, where Paul says, I do not allow a woman to teach. And so something's wrong. Something's wrong in either the way that we're interpreting what he said or the Bible's wrong. I personally cannot believe that the Bible's wrong. I don't believe that the Bible contradicts itself. Um, you know, in, in many churches, they don't allow, allow women leaders and stuff. We've seen from Scripture that there were women leaders. Now, um, again, the Bible doesn't contradict itself. So something is wrong. And that something is, is 
what we have to dig, if, if we're going to be intellectually honest, we have to dig into the Bible and try to find out what it's saying. We can't just say, well, you know what? My pastor said women can't teach. And so I'm just going to believe that. But, however, on the other hand, if we get into it and we say that God is saying that I don't want women to teach, then I'm fine with that also, right? Mm -hmm. But I don't believe that that's what the Bible's saying because if it does, it's contradicting itself. And so if we're going to teach, if, if we're going to teach on women, we need to find out. And, and, and here's the thing, because it is not definitive, right? There, uh, even though the Bible says, where Paul says, I don't allow women to teach or whatever, okay, if we're going to take the opposite stance and say, well, I believe that God does allow women to teach or does allow women to lead in the church, um, there, there is nothing that you can point to that is 100% definitive. Does that make sense? No. On either way. What do you mean? Without, what do you mean without, without argument? In other words, you cannot take a scripture and definitively say, yes, God does allow te women to teach. Or, and at the same time, you can't take a scripture and say definitively, God does not allow a woman to teach because if you do take that scripture and use it in that way, then the Bible is contradicting itself. And so, just like we talked about last week, gold does not lay on the surface of the earth. Neither does diamonds. And so the precious things of God have to be dug for. They're not just laying on the surface. And sometimes we, we look at the things on the surface and say, this is it. This is what God's saying. And that's not necessarily true. Again, if we're going to take scriptures at face value and we're going to take all those scriptures, then men need to be kissing each other every time they go to church. And personally, I have no interest in doing that. <laughs> right? Women need to be wearing head coverings. Men need to make sure they're not wearing head coverings and things. So, um, but we're not doing those things, right? So we can take these scriptures and say, well, this is definitive on what God is saying about this subject. But, well, what about the head covering scriptures? Are they not definitive too? Right? And so, the, again, the fact of the matter is, is there is something deeper that God wants us to dig for and he wants us to see what what he's trying to say. And again, I believe that the simple that the solution to all these problems lies in the culture of their times. Again, things written to the Corinthian church, the Corinthian church was out of control. Um, there was all kinds of just uh, craziness going on. And again, part of the problem too is that women weren't allowed to learn until Jesus came along. And so as such, there's a vacuum in the information and in the learning and in the teaching that women have received. Women haven't received the teaching that men have taught, have, have received, right? And so a lot of what was possibly going on was that these women who hadn't been taught all this stuff are now asking their husband, what is he trying to say here, right? And Not only that, but they didn't, they didn't have the, the Jewish background of from the time they were five years old, they had first five books, so that I would think that they probably didn't have a lot of the knowledge of the, well, the Bible or the scriptures because they weren't taught the scriptures. So even though Jesus was revealing himself in the New Testament church, part of that revelation came from 
them knowing the Old Testament and them knowing the Scripture. Right. And so for them, they probably had a greater revelation for those that were born again of Christ because of all their scriptural teaching than maybe a woman who had no background in Scripture at all. doesn't mean that she couldn't say anything worthwhile. It just means they may have had, as far as teaching, a greater revelation and a greater understanding. Whereas, you know, Paul, because of the way he was raised to be a leader in the Jewish church, he had lots and lots of knowledge that would allow him to be able to teach the people of God with all the knowledge that he had learned from the time he was a little kid, where as a woman probably didn't have that kind yeah. of... And that's what I'm saying. There was a vacuum in, in the teaching of the women. It's just like even, even in the medieval times, um, you weren't allowed to have your own Bible. And if you had your own Bible, you weren't allowed to read it because the priests were the only ones who could interpret the scriptures for you. Men or women? Anybody. Yeah. Um, that was a whole thing. That was a whole reason for the Reformation. Is Martin Luther and, yeah. and Tyndale and Wycliffe and stuff tried to uh, um, have the Bible printed in, in, in the language that people could understand rather than Latin and things. And yeah, uh, it, uh, people were burned at the stake because they thought that the common man uh, should be able to read and interpret the Bible for himself and that the common man didn't need the priests mm -hmm. to instruct them and and yeah that was that was the purpose of the reformation so again uh, in their times women weren't allowed to study the scripture it was unheard of and maybe not to that kind of degree but it was it was still unheard of it was and so because of that women didn't have the information that men had they didn't have the teaching that men had and and this is this is the vacuum of the new testament and I think it's also a true statement. The Bible doesn't, just because it tells stories, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to follow the example of the story. So, like, because David had lots of wives, you don't have to have lots of wives. Yeah. Or, and it's not acceptable just because David did it. In the same way, Paul legitimately can say, I don't allow because he didn't allow and that was the truth. Mm -hmm. That doesn't necessarily, just because you read that statement, that statement is actually complete fact, but it doesn't necessarily mean that in the future, if he met a woman that was really versed just, you know, really well, that he might not, nor does it mean that other people don't have to allow necessarily. Mm -hmm. It's just this true statement, I don't allow, and he didn't. But there might be some one of the other apostles that might have been fine with that, mm. depending mm -hmm. on the woman. So uh, you can't necessarily say. So with so um, Priscilla and Aquila, mm -hmm. they were not in the church that Paul taught in, were yeah. they? Were they? They were. As a matter of fact, Paul praised uh, Priscilla. But uh, but are you are you asking were they in the Corinthian church? Well, yeah, where she's talking about, um, not I do speaking. not allow a woman to speak or teach or whatever. Were they in the same church? Well, and, and the thing is, is yeah, I mean, I don't know if they were in the Corinthian church or the Ephesian church, which Paul, Paul, which Timothy was written to, but they were associates of Paul. Mm -hmm. but I think and so, and Megan's point might be that maybe I'm, in a different church. I'm getting there. 
That's the thing, uh, and that's the question. Did did Paul mean this for a specific church? Mm -hmm. Did he mean it for every church? Um, and again, just kind of like what we said last week, when when he says, I do not allow a woman to speak in church, what does that mean? Does that mean not a word? Right. You know, does that mean... Um, you know, so the thing is, is you can't just take it at face value. You have to, um, you have to dig into it because um, there are there are circumstances involved in it that if you don't try to put yourself in their shoes, it's like it's a lot of the Bible's that way. If you don't put yourself in their shoes, where they were at, what they were experiencing, and things like that then the Bible's not going to make sense to you. There's a scripture in the Old Testament that says, um, um, do not bring the price of a dog into the temple. That scripture, Amy and I used to raise dogs, like, mm. you know, those Spuds McKenzie dogs? The, mm. We used to them. raise those to sell and things, and, and someone used that scripture against us, you know, <laughs> do not bring the price of a dog into the temple. Well, what's a dog? A dog was a male prostitute, mm -hmm. right? And so, if you just take it at face value, you're not going to understand. So, they understand. were saying you couldn't tithe without money or something? Yeah. They were saying we couldn't sell dogs, oh. yeah. basically. And then, so, you know. That's lording Because he was, Dean was an associate pastor, so, like, somehow that was. But onto, but, what, onto a kind of interesting point of what you're saying, I just thought of a really good example. Take, take Denton Freedom House, for example. Um, it's a church. It's a church we're all affiliated with, and... You know, they have a rule, for example, that, you know, women are not to sit at a table by themselves with a men at dinner time, you know, and be the only woman at the table. Um, at first glance, that seems maybe to an outsider, a new person, that seems over-the-top extreme and legalistic and blah 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 But for that church in that situation, that is something that is um, ed edifying to the body. Um, and in another church situation, such as the bridge equal mix of all types of people, not primarily people that have, you know, addictions and all that other stuff, it's probably totally fine and acceptable for a woman to be at a table with a bunch of men. So it is possible maybe that Paul was speaking to a specific group of people that were having specific issues, um, and we have to keep that in mind because... You're going to have different issues at different churches where you're going to have to have certain rules at certain churches that you don't have to have at others. And it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility for Jeremy to stand up and say, I do not allow a woman to sit at a table with a bunch of guys. Right, and he's probably said you that. <laughs> you know, and then for if, even if he hasn't stood up at the pulpit and said it, he's made it clear that that's important to him, you know, and either him or... Um, you know, art made that really clear to me one day. So, I mean, that's something that I could either get mad and say, oh, that's legalistic and stupid, or I can respect the rules of that house and why they have right. them and understand that they have them for a reason. Right. But I don't have to go to the bridge and be like, oh, I can't really sit at the table with all these guys because it's a different situation. Yeah, that's good. Does that, make, does that, does that sound like logical to y'all? Does that sound logical to you? Well, yeah, no, and I think that is important. And I don't, I don't even know what to say. I just know that if you get too legalistic into the whole not speaking in church, I mean, there's been some churches that won't allow women to sing a song. Mm -hmm. Right. Because it might teach something. Right. Something from the song. Right. And so, I mean, you know, how far do you take that? Right. So, 
I almost, I mean, just the way Jesus was and the things that, you know, you pointed out, I almost think that that was just Paul and the culture he was raised in and his views on women and probably the skills of the women at the time handling the word of God. And that probably was necessary at that time. At the same time, I kind of understand some of the arguments. It's harder for men to listen to women, but mm-hmm. that might be cultural. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's harder for me to listen to women. That might be cultural, mm-hmm. you know, well, to take something from a woman or, you know, just to hear them rambling on and on. But then men do the same thing. So mm-hmm. that's just a, a part of learning. So mm-hmm. I... I don't know. I th- I feel like I fall on both sides of the issue, but it's probably more cultural, and I definitely don't understand taking it to ridiculous extremes. Mm-hmm. Um, you could even maybe use the example. I think if we just all came up with really interesting metaphors, it makes so much more sense. Like you can think about like in their culture, the men probably never cooked. Never. That was probably they probably never ever did. The women cooked. You know, they're keepers of the home or whatever. And you could see Paul coming in and going, okay, we're going to start having community dinners and stuff. Men, you are not allowed to cook. <laughs> you know? Like, we don't allow you men to cook, okay? You do not have the skills, you know? And the men could get all, you know, offended or they can say, okay, well, we really don't have the skills. So, yeah, sure, we, we won't be cooking. And but if we were to read that now and go, oh, Dean, you can't cook soup because it says here... That men were not allowed to cook. You can't make me dinner tomorrow night. You know, like. That's probably a good thing. <laughs> so maybe it's a we little bit. We would be eating at Freedom House on Saturdays. Huh. Yeah. Well, I just find it interesting that, like, I, I mean, this is this piece right here in Timothy is so deep, and I'm just like, Lord, like, there's so much in it that I just have so many questions about. It talks about. Um, for Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman, being deceived, fell into transgressing. If they continue in faith, love, and holiness.